Uh, to talk about the wise words from the Lord, uh, wisdom of God. And so uh, we have a huge treat. I want to bring up Amos and Ashley real quick. Miguel family. This is awesome. So, so man, I've had the honor. This is so fun. I actually had the honor of marrying these guys, which is so cool. And uh, they, yeah, amen. Yeah, I got a couple of, you know, married vets back there now, you know. Um, Honestly, you know, what a, what a blessing. Uh, we've been fighting the fight of uh, faith together now. Man, I, I forgot how long has it been, man? It's, I don't even know anymore. I mean, that's, I don't know what that means about us. But, but uh, these guys have been serving faithfully and are serving faithfully with Camp Crusade for Christ. Um, I hope you understand. We have been supporting these family, this family for years. Uh, so your, 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 uh, their letter is out in a foyer, in a fellowship hall. And they serve in post-Christian Europe. They're in Rome. Uh, how long have you been there now? Probably 10 years going on. So a decade, all right, guys? And uh, now they have a few, few all, all beautiful kids. Where are they downstairs? Um, I'll let you guys, I'll let you guys handle all that. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, we asked these guys, and it, it's a huge treat because, you know, they come back, and when they come back, they're on furlough where they're supposed to get a rest. But a lot of times it's not a rest for these guys um, because they have to go around, they have to recalibrate their support to be able to go and serve uh, the Lord uh, back in Rome. Post-Christian Europe is super intense. They'll explain a little bit. I always tell people, don't get it twisted because they're wrong. People think, oh, that's so cool. But, you know, think about the fact that, you know, Christianity was there and as it were post-Christian, the mindset is like, oh, we've already done that. So to be, to go into that mission field and to trust in the Holy Spirit to kind of like recalibrate dry bones, as it were, uh, is something that you just really, you know, obviously wherever we go, we need to trust the Lord, but it's so poignant there uh, in that place. Uh, so I just want to encourage us in that. And then they've come to actually work and serve here and help us hear what's going on and to preach. So I just want to thank you guys pray for you, and then give you the mic, okay, guys? But I love these guys, and I'm just so thankful that we get an opportunity to hear uh, what God has done through them and in their ministry. Will you bow your heads in prayer? Lord, we are so grateful uh, for Ashley and Amos. Lord, we are so thankful for their family, um, their faithfulness. We are so honored to be able to partner with them, to see how you are using them, their faithfulness, uh, their kind hearts, the courage. Holy Spirit, use them as as Paul would go around his missionary journeys to encourage the saints, we ask that they would encourage the people of God, that we would leave here by the power of your spirit, more in love with you, more understanding about what you're doing in your world, and more excited about your glory going forth to the nations. Be exalted, Christ, through your servants. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18 today. Um, so if you can turn to your Bibles, it should be up front as well on the screen. I'll go ahead and read now. The scriptures read chapter 11, verse 1 through 18. Bibles are in the front of your pew. When you get there, say hallelujah. hallelujah. All right. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began uh, and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Verse 6, looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has in, ever entered my mouth. 
But the Lord, I mean, the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. Verse 11. And behold, at the very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and were entered, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angels stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. Verse 16. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is God's word. Amen. Thanks, Eric. Uh, when I first became a believer in high school, um, I knew immediately there were two people groups, two friend groups that God wanted me to witness to, to share my testimony. Um, I became a believer in, um, actually in Southfield Christian, not too far from here, so Christian school. And uh, at that time, I was hanging out with the rebel group. So even if it's a Christian school, you know, there's still some rebels, some of you have know this experience. Um, so that summer, became a believer, and coming back the fall, I knew God was wanting me to hang out, stay with those groups of friends, and be a witness to them. And I thought, man, this is so fun. I'm going to be like in the world, but not of the world, you know? And so my plan was, uh, anytime something was happening that was counter-biblical, I'd let them know. You know, anytime they were doing something that I thought was sinful, I would, I would pointed out to them. So we'd be at, at the lunch table. They'd start talking about girls in a way. And I said, hey, guys, 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 that's not what the Bible says. That's not how we should treat women or talk about people. We shouldn't do that. They'd kind of roll their eyes and say, okay, whatever. Um, really, for weeks, this went on. And, and I remember it came to a head. Uh, one of my buddies, I think he was just so tired of this, that he says, hey, Amos, I saw something in the bathroom. You should, you should come check this out, too. And I said, oh, yeah, what is it? I come in there, and he shows me this kind of graffiti that's obscene, and I said, oh, my gosh, like, who would do this, first of all? And two, why would you show this to me? This isn't what God wants. <laughs> and so he's kind of chuckling, and he just looks at me. And he says, Amos, you're such a conscience. We should just call you the moral conscience of the group. And I just knew at that moment what I was doing was not effective, trying to point out their sins with no conviction. Now, there's a second group that God was calling me to reach, and that was my cousins. This is a lot closer to home. I'm the oldest guy cousin. My mom has seven sisters, so most of their family lives um, in the Detroit area. And I remember just saying, God, there's no way I could witness to my cousins. I mean, I was the one who taught these guys how to swear. You know, we would, I would say, okay, here are all the words. Here's what they mean. And here's how you use them, right? It's like comedy. Timing is everything. You come in. Boom, swear word. We'd watch the movies, kind of analyze it. 
Um, but not only did I teach them that, I think they're also victims of my anger issues before I became a believer. I'd invite them over, we'd have fun, and pretty soon, blows would come out. Blood would be dripping, tears would be had. And then I became a believer, and I said, God, there's no way I could come back to my cousins and tell them about Christ. There are some lies I was believing about evangelism. There were some things that God was calling me to, but I wasn't ready in one sense, to really know how do you become an effective witness for Christ? How do you share? Um, I believe the passage that we're going to look at today will give us some points about that. But, you know, this is still a lesson that I'm learning. And it's so fun for me. It's really a privilege uh, to be able to share this with you because I'm learning this too in the field as a missionary. Um, I confess, I still get nervous when I know that, okay, it's time. There's some people that you want me to talk to to bring this up intentionally. And just to say, okay, God, how can I trust you in this moment? It's funny. I think as Ashley and I reflect on our time in Rome, I really think God made me be a missionary so I would trust him more, so I'd just get to walk with him. Um, And that's just something that's sweet, that's a treasure that you get is you're on mission for Christ, um, that you get more of Christ. Um, It's such a, I say privilege again, but it's such an encouragement for me to be here, Um, it really is. To see friendly faces, to see new faces, to be in this new building. I mean, it's incredible. Even just driving down here with my family, it's like, man, so many memories of living, living here. I think, can't remember the name of the street I lived on. Burns, was it? I don't know. Someone can remind me. <laughs> yeah. Fisher, thank you. Joel. <laughs> I didn't remember that. 2965 Fisher. Okay. Um, now it's all coming back, right? <laughs> But I learned about evangelism during my time here. Being in the body, running, you know, in the mornings, meeting different people, coming in late at night, meeting other different kinds of people, um, and learning what it is to share Christ and be about Christ. Um, this next slide here, you met Ashley, but this is the rest of my family. Uh, we've got two kids, Lael um, and Sophie here. Got to go to a Tigers game. Uh, we've been in Rome now as a married couple, five years. I've been there about 10 um, we're just seeing God do amazing things. We work with refugees. Uh, we work with students. Ashley's also um, doing some legal ministry, uh, using her law degree in that way. And it's just so fun to, to be able to share more. I'm going to weave some stories in as we, as we look at this Acts 11 passage. Um, but also to celebrate, to thank you guys for your prayers, that you are part of our ministry. Uh, so as we think now about Acts 11, as we go there, I think this is a story that really speaks to a lot of us. It's strange to think, oh, thanks, brother. It's strange to think, what is happening in this passage, and, and how does it relate to us today? I think there's biblical principles that we can learn today, but, but also it's amazing, because this is a story about uh, Gentiles. It's a story um, that relates to us, because this is part of our Christian heritage. I would say the majority of us here aren't Jews, where the gospel first came to but then it spread out to the Gentiles, and, and that's part of who we are, this history. And this is an amazing story of this hinge of Scripture that it goes to. Um, let me pray for us. Father, thanks so much for this time. We're so thankful for your word. It's, it's amazing. It's this powerful. It's this living thing that you've preserved for us today, that you speak to us through this, that we can know you, that we can grow in faith And trust you in that. I pray that you would cause us to be hungry again for Christ. We pray today. Hungry for truth. Um, 
that after this time and the service, even the whole service, that we'd walk away with these, these seeds of truth planted in our hearts that would grow and bring fruit for your glory, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Uh, turn back to, to Acts 11, and I just want to get this context of what we're talking about here. Verse 1 says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began and explained it to them in order. Okay, so what's happening here? So the memory verse you have is from Acts 10. So that's kind of like a subliminal trick to to read Acts 10 this week. (laughs) But it's actually a beautiful narrative of what Peter's summarizing in Acts 11. So what happens is Gentiles become believers, Peter goes back to the Jewish council and is reporting to them, and they are up in arms. They don't like this. They don't like that Gentiles are being converted. But Peter is saying, just listen to what God is doing, and you decide. The context, too, if you just bring it back a little bit, is so Jesus came, he died, he rose, and he gave the great commission and said all nations. The early church didn't really know what that meant, all nations. And so this is what God is pushing towards, his fulfillment of his promise that he gave all the way back in Genesis 3. After sin entered the garden, he said, someone's going to come and is going to solve the problem of sin and death. Jesus came and said, now it's time. Now it's time to see all nations really come. So that's what Peter's doing. That's the context of where we're at. Um, And then verse 5, I think, brings out the first principle when Peter says, he says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, And in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. I think as we think about how do we become an effective witness for Christ, what does evangelism mean? What is this all about? I think prayer, or Peter gives us the first key here in prayer, this humility through prayer. And I love, I love just even in this service, we've already spent some time praying, I love in the beginning, you can just see this whole atmosphere of, of declaring our dependence on who God is. Prayer is just this powerful, gosh, I don't want to say weapon, but it's this, it's this mystery. Yeah, you know, it's, there's something mystical about it and how God uses prayer in our lives. Um, you know, we're seeing this also in Rome. As we think about this prayer aspect of dependence on God, Worshiping God, looking to God. So when I first came there in 2006, so I primarily did campus ministry at first. And we'd get on campus and we would, we would share, you know, we'd try to get into spiritual conversations. And I would say for that whole year, I maybe, let, I maybe met 10 or less people that were actually interested in what we had to say. I'd bring up God, I'd bring up Jesus, and they would say, how can you come here and talk about this with us. What gives you the right? Don't you know God is not relevant anymore? Don't you know this isn't a thing? And there's a reason why it's 2%, uh, the 2% of the population is evangelical. And I just gave so discouraged. Um, I said, God, what? What is happening? Think about this last year when we're on campus, going out, talking to people. Things completely reversed. I would say I met maybe 10 or less people who were not interested in what we had to say. 
I mean, not everyone's coming a Christian, but it's amazing. People are saying, yeah, Jesus, I was just thinking about that guy. Oh, yeah, I was reading about that. Tell me more. Or, yeah, I, I like what you're saying. You actually follow this guy? Tell me more. Tell me why. And we're seeing this amazing shift happen on campus. And, and last year, we're just wondering, we say, God, what is it? Is it this new strategy that we're doing? Is it a new book that we're reading and these five steps that we're following? What is it? And God just reminds us again and again, it's prayer. There's something about prayer that allows God to work. Um, and that's you guys too, not just us there. You guys praying for us. So encouraging to come here and people knew me before I knew them. I know you get, you know, it's like, wow, God, that's amazing bringing people to pray. Uh, J.I. Packer talks about um, prayer in, in the sense of more of like a hike. You know, as we are going through this Christian journey, this spiritual quest, it's like this hike that God's leading us on. There's beautiful mountaintop experiences, these lush times by the lakes, but also hard times. There's storms. There's times when you're hungry and you're, you're wondering, when are we going to eat? You know, there's times of darkness. Uh, you're camping in some rough places. And he says, prayer is what keeps you linked with that lead hiker to keep going. That when you're looking around, what are you going to do? Prayer is a link. I don't know if you've, if you've seen some of these um, Everest climbs, these movies that are out there, but sometimes it gets so bad, you need to tie a rope with the guy in front of you. That's what prayer's like. Keeps you connected to God when everything around you seems crazy. Prayer, it's this humility that Peter is in this state. Um, the sub-point here that I want to bring out is we must align ourselves with God's desires, his plan, and purpose. As we even think about doing evangelism, as we even think about people who God's calling us to reach, prayer is so important to begin with. Uh, let's keep reading Peter's story. I'll start back up in, in five again because there's a piece that's good here. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. Man, what is happening here? It's kind of like a weird, a weird thing, right? I don't know. I've, ever, I've never been in prayer, and I've seen a sheet coming down and seeing animals, different animals, and God telling me to kill them. But what's even weirder is Peter's response. And he's like, no way, I won't do it, no way. It's like, I don't know, maybe it was lunchtime. I think if I was hungry, I'd be thinking about, all right, maybe, maybe there's some things there that I might want to sample. You know, I've never had some of these animals before. Um, but the second point here is I think what's being brought out is, is we must remind ourselves of the gospel. And what is happening here for Peter? You know, think back to your Exodus series and the law, right? I know you guys talked about the law. I didn't listen to every sermon. Um, but there's this law that God gave. So you had um, Adam and Eve, sin comes in. God promises a redeemer. So he raises up a people group, Israel. And, and the same command that he gave Adam and Eve, he commands Israel. He says, 
show the world who I am. And he gives them this law, says, you can show them my holiness by following this law. You can show them who I am by your sacrifices in the tabernacle and eventually the temple. But they messed up. They failed. And it's interesting because Peter, a Jew, he grew up in this. That was his holiness, to say, I'm right with God, I'm good with God, was keeping these commands. And so when Jesus came and said, I haven't come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill the law. I think Peter was still wrestling with that. What does it mean when Jesus says to fulfill the law? No one, no one could keep the law. In fact, I think is in our sin nature, when we hear someone tell us not to do something, we want to do that thing. It brings up, makes sin even harder. And it's like, well, what's the issue? Jesus came and said, no one could fulfill the law. No one could completely live a perfect holy life except for me. And I did it. And the good news for Peter was he didn't have to try because he could trust Jesus and what he did. And so part of the law was you had to eat certain food. You had to eat certain animals and not eat certain animals. So Peter's freaking out when he says, okay, I see this trance. I see animals I'm not supposed to eat under the law. And God's saying, kill and eat. Peter, what's he saying? He's saying, I'm a good Jew. I follow the law. I'm good. I don't speed. I don't swear. I'm nice to people even though they're mean to me. I come to work on time. I'm doing good. I'm fulfilling your commands. Please don't make me break the law. But what he didn't realize, what he didn't understand was Jesus already fulfilled the law for Peter. He doesn't need to live in that old way. And you see the push that's happening, this push for all nations, for Gentiles to say the law, it was good. It showed people who I was, but now I want Christ to show the world who I am. And you can live and trust in Christ and be that. And Peter needed to come back to this, come back to the gospel of who Jesus was. This makes me think about the story of my friend Shafiq. So I mentioned we also work with refugees, so I'd love to share about him. So he's from Kurdistan, and if you don't know where that country is, you're not alone. I still don't know where that country is, um, but I believe about 300 years ago it was split up between Iraq, um, Iran, Turkey, and I think Pakistan. Um, so as he's living there, uh, the war comes to him, arrives at his doorstep, arrives in his town, and he says, man, I'm not about the war. And eventually the people who are fighting said, well, if you're not about the war, we're not about you. And he realizes there's a danger. So he flees, and he makes the trek uh, to Italy. He never flies, actually. He's talking walking, boats, trucks. And on the way, he starts to wonder about Jesus. He starts to wonder, what is Islam? Shafiq grew up in a very, very Muslim home. His dad wasn't uh, a leader in the mosque, but um, he was someone who was very devout. And so he, he learned what, what the Quran was about. He was taught things. It wasn't just a cultural thing for him. But as he made this trek and this journey and the experience he had with the war, he's wondering, what is Islam? What is, who is God? Who is Jesus? Is this relevant to me? So we operate a drop-in center uh, in Rome. So he comes to the drop-in center and he meets us. And very quickly we start talking about spiritual things and he realizes, oh, these are Christians here. These are the people I need to be asking about. So he starts asking questions and he says, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. We actually need to have coffee to talk about this. 
here in this drop-in center where there's a lot of ears listening and people, I don't want them to know my business. Let's talk privately. So this went on for a couple months, and Shafiq gave his life to the Lord. It's amazing. But for Shafiq, being a Christian, even though he was in Rome, there was still a risk. There was still a cost for him. Uh, being in his refugee camp, most of the guys there were Muslim. So they're trying to maintain a Muslim community. And so for someone to convert from Islam to Christianity, that was a huge no-no. And so they're trying to make an example of him. So as he's thinking about now, all right, I want to share my faith. There's a risk involved. I could not only be beaten up, physically persecuted, but if he causes such a ruckus, he's out of that refugee camp and on the streets, which actually did end up happening to him. But there's a third cost for Shafiq, and that was his family back home. Remember we talked about he lived in this devout Muslim home? And he kept just saying, I need to tell my family. I can't live this lie. I need to tell them what's happened, who I am, and the good news. And so he Skypes with his family. And I remember talking to him the day after he, he did that. Just tears, just saying, I shared with them the truth. And immediately my mom says, then you are not my son. Don't call me again. Don't write me. You can imagine this guy. He's already so far from home, from familiar to him. Knows Christ, the treasure that he is. And he says, I'm still going to go. What's more amazing to me as I talked to him about that, you know, I was expecting downtrodden, discouragement, trying to lift him up. But he said, I'm just so concerned for my family. Their hearts are so hard. Now that I know that, now that they know I'm a believer, my secret's out, people could come and find them, but they don't know the truth. They don't know God. What's going to happen with them for eternity? And we prayed. Shafiq is so amazing. This, this other picture here is, is him writing on his testimony. And he says, I want to keep going. I want to keep going because I know Christ is greater. The treasure of knowing Christ is worth any of these risks that I could go through. Um, I spoke with him a couple months ago. He's now a translator in Greece uh, for refugees coming in. And he says, Amos, it's so hard. People are just not always interested. I talk to these other translators here. I try to bring up spiritual things, but they're not there. And it's just so amazing to see Shafiq as he is reminded of the gospel each day. That's his motivation to keep going and saying from this position, I want to share. There's a sub-point here that I want to bring up as we, as we think about humility through reminding ourselves of the gospel is that we must experience the gospel first in order to be a witness of it. Um, when I, I'm not saying that we need to get saved every day. What I'm saying is we need to remember who our Savior is. I think the same trap that Peter fell into, I think it's so easy for us to fall into. I think we read the Bible and we say, oh, okay, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. All right, I'm going to wake up and I'm just going to try to be more loving today. I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to be joyful. I'm going to put on my praise music while I'm eating breakfast or in the car on the way to work. I'm going to make sure I read, you know, 20 minutes past it and make sure I'm praying. And here we go. Love's going to come. But I think what the small trap that we can fall into is that is to think that our efforts can bring about this fruit. That there's, there's a change in a mindset of saying, okay, God, I'm going to trust you 
as I yield to your spirit, as I repent, that this praise music is going to turn me towards you. That me reading the word is going to turn me towards you. That me praying is going to turn me towards you and your spirit working in my heart is going to bring out that love, that joy, that peace, that fruit. It's just a small, it's a small change that I think is, is dangerous as we try to live the Christian life. Um, I think about the tree metaphor that Eric kind of brought up is, is a tree, if I can personify it, it, it doesn't think the whole, its whole life is all about fruit. Get to the fruit, get to the fruit. But each day it's saying, no, I need water. I need nourishment. I need sun. And it says, eventually the fruit will come. There's a time as we, as we live out the gospel, this day by day, faith, repentance, yielding, um, God, God works in our hearts to bring us the motivation. Tim Keller says, the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life. It's not something we get over once we become a believer, but it's the A to Z. It's so deep, there's this depth in it. I think as we think about this too, implicit in, in what I wrote here is that through reminding ourselves of the gospel, we can think the onus is on us to remind ourselves of the gospel. That's even Spirit's work too. It's just so incredible how God brings this together, how God is moving and putting pieces together in our lives. Because um, it really is God who saves. Uh, let's keep with this story. I think there's more here for us to see. Uh, let's start in verse 12. And the Spirit told me to go with them making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we enter the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I, could, that I could stand in God's way? When they, the Jewish council, heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance. Just take a step back and look at how God is orchestrating this. As you read through Acts 10 later this week or today, even as you look at this passage, look at how many actions... God took. This is like, it's mind-boggling. Okay, so, so Peter's in Joppa, and he's praying, and he gets this vision where God is preparing his heart to actually go and witness to the Gentiles. But before that, maybe, I don't know, the day before, two days before, in Caesarea, a northern town, Cornelius is praying, this Gentile. And he's praying, and he's asking God, God, Tell me more. And he gets a vision and says, send for Peter. And so he sends some of his men to go down to Joppa to get Peter. And look at the timing of this. As the men come to the house, Peter had just finished the vision. So he was ready. He was ready to say, I'll go in this weird thing that I don't know what it is. I, was, I remember the gospel and the vision. Now you're saying for me to go. I don't even know who you guys are, but to go to this Gentile's house, I'll go. God is orchestrating something. He's putting something together 
that was beyond Peter, that was beyond Cornelius, but they didn't even realize that yet. Do you see this third point? Then is that humility through recognizing God is the one who saves. God is the one who is at work. It's so incredible. If you look at, at 17, it says, if then God gave the same gift to them. So it wasn't just God orchestrating the visions and Peter's vision and causing the guys to come and put things together. Even the whole salvation process was from God. God gave the gift. It was God who was the one who was bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. There's a sub point here that says we must trust in God ultimately to save though he uses us in the process. As you look through Acts 10 later, you'll see when Cornelius is praying in Caesarea, the angel says, send for Peter. The angel could have shared the gospel right then and there. And Cornelius could have become a Christian, the Gentiles, everything. But there was a kind of messiness that God was wanting to bring into this. He says, send for Peter. Peter is going to be a part of this. Peter gets to be used in this process. And it's so crazy to think, okay, I'm ready, God. I'm ready. I want to do this. I want to go. But to think, man, what's happening? There's nothing going. I'm not being moved. But that's the beauty of what God's doing. There's something happening that's bigger than us, that's greater than us, that's moving forward. Um, yeah, let, me, let me share one, another story from our ministry, and then I want to talk more about this point. Um, so in our student ministry, God, we're seeing God do amazing things that we had never seen before. We feel like with you guys, we're on this cutting edge. And so there's the story of Aleandra, one of our student leaders. So she grew up in the south of Rome, I'm sorry, in the south of Italy. And now she's going to come to Rome to study law. And so she's a Christian, she's a believer, and she thinks, oh my gosh, now's my time. Now's my time to kind of be a missionary while I'm in school, right? And so she gets applies for student housing. There's no dorms there, really. So she ends up in this apartment with two other girls, not believers. And she's like, wow, God, you are putting everything together right here, two non-believers that I can share with. So she started to share that first semester. And Sarah, her roommate, I think they're actually sharing, the, actually literally sharing the same room, uh, begins to show interest and says, oh, yeah, I'm interested in what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I grew up Catholic, but yeah, what are you, what are you trying to say? But as the semester wore on, as more exams come up, Sarah is no longer interested. And Aleandra becomes discouraged. She says, well, maybe this wasn't God. Maybe this wasn't time for me. Year after that point, when Aleandra kind of gives up or says, God, I don't know what's happening, she meets one of our staff members there. Um, just such a funny story. I think I'm pretty sure one of our staff members was just grocery shopping, runs into Aleandra, they kind of say, oh, I think I've seen you at church, right? And they says, yeah, 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 like, let's talk. And so the staff member kind of shares our vision that we want to see Christ glorified on campus through students, through classes. And Alejandra says, oh, my gosh, that's what I'm about, this rekindling of this passion that she had had. And so she says, okay, yeah, I think I want to join. I think I want to be about this. So we said, okay, well, let's partner with you. Let's pray. Who are people you want to reach? She said, my two roommates. So we begin to start to pray for Sarah with her again. We begin to pray for opportunities for Sarah to hear the gospel, for things that she could come to. Um, just amazing to see uh, just six months ago, Alejandro was able to lead Sarah 
to Christ. I would love for you to just hear more of their story um, here through this video. Yeah, it was amazing. I don't. I know the it was subtitled, so I don't know if people in the back were able to to see that, or maybe you all of a sudden started understanding Italian. But um, <laughs> but just two things out of that video that that really every time I see it, just like God, you are at work. You are the one who really saves. Um, so a week before Sarah became a believer, she was asked the question, "Do you think that you'll be with God in heaven one day?" And she said, "No, because I don't think I've done enough for God." After a believer, she came back and she said, now I know I'll be in heaven because Christ has done enough for God. And the second thing that's just so fun is now Alejandra and Sarah together are praying for that third roommate to become a Christian. That, that Sarah is encouraging Alejandra when her faith is low. That God is just doing something beyond what we know. And it's amazing as we, as we line up with him in prayer, as we live out the gospel each day, he takes us into this amazing adventure of who he is. You know, it's so encouraging. You know, in the beginning, I shared about uh, my high school friends and my cousins. And I don't keep in touch with all my high school friends anymore, but from that group, to see four guys now walking with the Lord, raising their family in a Christ-centered home. One's even uh, ministering in New York to the Jewish community. This is God. In my brokenness of, of trying to be the Holy Spirit for them, God still had a plan. Just think about my cousins. It was so hard for me to, to go to Rome the first time because I said, God, I have so many people here that need to know you, my family, and I'm going overseas to follow your call. What about them? It's been amazing since we've been, been away. Five of my cousins are now walking with the Lord. It's just insane. Just, it's truly, it's just so humbling to say, see, God is the one who's at work. I mean, maybe as I've been sharing, you've been thinking about, okay, yeah, I, I know. I know some people who God has been tugging in my heart to share with. It's tugging on my heart to say, yeah, God, would they become a believer? Maybe it's, it's people that, that know your story and, and it's, it's shameful to kind of go there and say, this is what God redeemed. Maybe it's people that, if you're like my cousins, you think they're just too far. They're too broken. No, they can't be saved. We kind of say, there's no way. Maybe there's family members, people that you're bringing up. And I hope this is encouraging to say, God is the one who's at work. God is the one who's saving and moving and putting things together for us. As we think about the story, what do we do with this? What do we, it was great. It's Peter's story. I get the three points. Prayer, gospel, recognizing God's sovereignty. There's an underlying caution that I have here that I think is important for us that I've struggled with in my ministry is that when we see things are going great or when we see things aren't going so great, to try to say, what is that magic book? What's that magic conversation that I need to have with somebody? Or this new movie that I'm going to post on someone's Facebook wall or whatever it is, that it can be so easy to trust in those things as what's going to save 
but rather than saying, God, so many ways, what is it that you would want to use? And this story of, of Cornelius is so fun for me to revisit and think about because he was an Italian. To think about the gospel, how it started with Italians. And Peter actually comes to Rome and has a ministry there and dies in Rome. Mark gets martyred. So for Ashton and I to walk the streets of Rome, it's incredible to think about the heritage that's there. But then to have this tension of seeing where it currently is. You know, we, we talk about these historical ruins in Rome, if you guys have ever been there. There's also those spiritual ruins that God is building back up as we trust him. But I think there's also something here for you guys too, here at MacAv, as you think about Cornelius and Peter interacting. Cornelius was a soldier. Peter was a fisherman. Cornelius probably made a lot more money than Peter did. (laughs) It's also these two cultures coming together, different foods, different customs, different ways of life, different backgrounds. Both have different languages that they choose, uh, that that they like to speak, that maybe is their home language that God is bringing this mess to show who he is, this unity and diversity. And, and we kind of talk about in our ministry, we say, if things aren't a little bit messy, we wonder if we're going in the right direction. <laughs> and, and in that conflict, as conflicts resolved, as in those tensions, as tensions resolved, as we, as we grow in the gospel and trust him, God is glorified. And so as we share our faith, as we go out and we trust God for evangelism, we're seeing him bring these all nations here, even in, in Detroit, in the east side. We're seeing more people praising God because of what you guys are doing. And I want to encourage you in that. Um, faith, faith in the gospel and who God is doing and what he's doing. Maybe you're here and you're saying, okay, that was nice what you shared. But if gospel means good news, I don't feel like I've had good news come to me in my life. When I try to walk with God, it's hard. When I try to walk with God, nothing happens. I've tried that. I just want to encourage you to lay those things out. You know, with leadership here, if, if you came with somebody Um, to check out the church and you have those questions, wrestle with those. There's something beautiful about struggling to God together Um, because he's near and he's there. Um, I think, yeah, that, that analogy of the hike just keeps coming back to me. As we go and as we walk with the Lord, it's not always easy, but there's always God and that's worth it. As we think about Shafiq as well. Um, as I pray for us, you know, maybe, maybe imagine with me, you know, those neighbors that you're trusting God for, those family members that seems hard, um, that you try to share the gospel with them, but it ends up opening up old wounds and you just kind of get nasty <laughs> and you say, what happened? <laughs> this dinner was supposed to be about the gospel and now it's, <laughs> now I need to go pray. Um, I've been there. Um, yeah, think about those people who you think, man, they seem so lost. Is the gospel really powerful enough to save? 
Think about those people and ask God, God, would you work in their hearts, even as God was already working in Cornelius' heart, to have him pray? Just amazing how God saves and just say, God, would you work in their hearts and their lives that in the new heaven, new earth, we'll see Cornelius, we'll see Peter, and God, would, would we see these friends and families, these neighbors, these coworkers, these strangers that I know that I see, would we see them also, Lord, praising you and glorifying you? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how deep and amazing your gospel is. And I pray for my friends here, my brothers, my sisters, that would we get a new understanding of the gospel. And not new in the sense the gospel always changes, but would we see more of our lives that the gospel applies? That you are a savior again in our difficulties that you are our Lord again in the wonderful times, that we can be like Peter and say, okay, I don't get it. I don't understand where you're trying to have me or where you're trying to, to take me, but I'll go. I'll go. God, will we trust you that in our day-to-day that you can be using, moving us, pushing us along to be part of your greater kingdom that's beyond even as Peter and Cornelius, I don't think they had in their mindset of how because of Peter's faithfulness, the gospel could come to all of us now here as Gentiles or non-Jews or as Jews, if some of us are that. Lord, God, we praise you. We thank you. Cause our hearts to be oriented towards you this week, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much, brother, for that good word. And my prayer uh, as, a, as a body where we are living outside our house, we're uh, constantly talking and beating the drum of sharing our faith and proclaiming the gospel and uh, exalting Christ in that way and evangelism, uh, that we would sense a sense of freedom. Uh, my prayer is that you would right now just feel like, yes, I just, you recalibrated my heart, Lord, that God saves people. Um, thank you for that. Uh, for God using you, brother. Uh, we want to respond in worship. Uh, first and foremost, our tithing offering. Visitors. So-